welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and today I'm excited to explore a truly holistic approach to preconception care with naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, and fertility specialist, Dr. Sterling Maximo. Dr. Maximo discovered her love for preconception counseling while working in primary care, seeing more and more women struggling to build the family they so deeply desired. Intimately understanding this primal urge and seeing so clearly the gaping holes in the traditional fertility model of care, she felt called to empower women with the wisdom of how their bodies work and looks at fertility struggles as just one piece in a larger picture of their overall health. Her Seattle-based practice includes comprehensive support for preconception, fertility, prenatal acupuncture, hypnobirthing, childbirth education, and postpartum care. I've been looking so forward to this. Welcome to the show, Sterling. Thank you so much. I've been so excited to join you for this conversation. We were connecting offline a bit, and you and I have both been ravenous in our learning of preconception and pregnancy and postpartum care for the last decade or more. At least, yeah. At least. (laughs) So it's really fun to to connect with you because we have so, so many shared clinical interests. It's true. It's true. I mean, I think that it's a field where it's like the more you learn, the more there is to learn. Like it's just kind of this never ending funnel of information that you can keep on sipping, taking sips from at your convenience. Yeah. We're students for life. And I know we <laughs> both really love a holistic and comprehensive and really patient centered preconception experience. And I was hoping you would kind of set the scene and tell us what does that look like in your practice when someone comes in and they say, I am thinking about getting pregnant for the first time and I want to be proactive in how I'm preparing myself in this preconception phase. How do you work through that process? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, when, um, when we talk about like holistic fertility care to begin with, I really like to think about it fully as you know, body, mind, and spirit. And I think that, that the body part gets so well covered by naturopathic doctors, by functional fertility doctors who are really going to be covering like all of the systems head to toe. Like, of course, we're going to be diving into the reproductive system um, because there is so much, you know, (laughs) to dig into there, but also talking about like thyroid health and all of the rest of the um, hormones in your body um, that are all going to be like influencing each other. Um, I think that again, both like naturopathic care and functional medicine doctors, and honestly, like more and more of like traditionally trained um, fertility doctors are also kind of starting to look at a little bit of a through wider scope. Like they're not just, it's not just a silo of like the ovaries and uterus anymore, which I so, so, so appreciate. Um, um, It's also going to be looking at like environmental medicine and, um, you know, your past history and like antibiotics and your gut health and, and all of these things, movement. I think that, I think that we're really well-trained to, to look through that scope. I think that, um, then, you know, moving on, it would be focusing on the mind and at least assessing kind of like, how is your mental and emotional health? Because goodness knows there is, there are a few things that are as challenging to that part of you as, um, struggling on the fertility journey. Um, and so I think that like the earlier you can get those 
things kind of dialed in, the better you're setting yourself up for success. Um, so to me, that kind of looks like, you know, are you, is there a counselor in the picture? What is your community like? Um, you know, do you have good friends or um, colleagues, family with whom you can have really honest conversations with whom you can actually like talk about naming some of the fears that you might be having on this fertility journey? I mean, I'm definitely influenced by the <laughs> Brene Browns of the world who really talk about how these shadow emotions, these, um, you know, gain more power when we're, we're not able to speak about them. So like from the very beginning, making sure that yes, we are making sure that your body is everything is working there, but also that your um, mental and emotional state is is happy and healthy too. Um, and then I think the third prong that I that I really um, is the spirit, uh, kind of the spiritual practice and spirituality and having um, at least having that assessed. Um, I am not a spiritual guru. I am not going to be necessarily providing that for people. But I think just even bringing it up when you're talking about fertility, like I don't I don't know who else on their intake form has a place where people are even able to talk about how satisfied they are with their degree of spirituality. Um, and I'll just talk a little bit about you know, myself, because I think that I, um, so many women of our generation, um, you know, we, we were raised in an environment where for, for good reason, there was a little bit of an ick factor with some of like the, um, uh, organized religions and, you know, kind of feeling like, oh, I know that I should be spiritual, but I don't know exactly what that means. And like, what does that mean? I, sure. I do yoga, you know? Right. Um, and and I think that this is a this is a piece that is often it's just neglected, I think. Um, and when I think about what is a good, you know, uh, spiritual practice, I think about something where you're connecting to something larger, like whether that's a God, whether that is just like you're asking bigger questions about the universe in general, you know, you're, you're connecting to a deeper part of you and connecting to a bigger part of humanity. Um, and also having a sense of community. So like, whether that's you like to meditate and think about the big questions, and you have a friend and you sit down, you know, once every couple of weeks and actually hash out some of these questions that can be, you know, valuable, um, whether it's more of a, like a traditional community, like a congregation or something like that. But I think that having that community aspect goes back, it supports the mental emotional health because it's allowing you kind of time and place to experience different emotions that you're going to be having on the course of your fertility journey. Um, and then I would say that the third piece of that, um, you know, beneficial spiritual practice would be some sort of like uh, timing or like ritual or like some something where it's like it happens regularly so that it um, to, to give yourself a context, like a framework with which to work through things. So those are kind of where I like to focus at, at least again, like just from the assessment point of view, like how is your whole body working? How is your mind being supported? And also, have we neglected this spirit piece? Um, and I think that I rely more from a treatment perspective on Chinese medicine um, from that, because I think that there's it offers a framework where you are going to be assessing all three of those pieces. Um, 
and you can't necessarily separate like how somebody's spiritual health from their <laughs> from their physical health um yeah I think this is something I'm so proud of about the way we do medicine is that we are willing to look beyond the physical body and ask the question, how are you doing in your mental, emotional, spiritual health? And then also saying, maybe that's not me who's the expert in that, but let me support building this collaborative care team because there's someone out there who's the right fit for you. Right, right. Absolutely. And it's surprising too, you know, I mean, like the kinds of things that people can't, that the responses that you get from patients when you even ask about, you know, their spiritual health, some people are like, whoa, why are you asking this? Like, this has nothing to do with you. And, or like, this has nothing to do with fertility. Um, and, and that's always really interesting, too, because um, I think it just speaks to kind of how disconnected we we can be. And just speaking, um, I just wanted to give kind of a more concrete example about like, uh, you know, spiritual practice and religious uh, religions in general. Um, I think about grief a lot of times with um, fertility and pregnancy loss, loss, like grief is huge. It is it is a huge <laughs> player. Um, and I think that if left on its own, like just to, you know, it doesn't just wither and die and fizzle out. Like, I think that it kind of can manifest to like more fear and more stress and things that we know aren't going to be helpful along the fertility journey. Um, and I think about, um, you know, in, in Judaism and I am not Jewish, um, but in Judaism, just the, the sitting Shiva, when you've experienced a loss or you've had a grief and there is this whole tradition and kind of like almost a formula for that you can follow to be able to process that grief and process that grief in community. And I think that those like aspects are so important just to supporting us overall. I mean, I know that you were asking about preconception and fertility and we're kind of going on this other this other topic this other tangent but i do think it is important because i think when you have that spiritual peace locked in that is what allows you to have resilience and when you have resilience i think that you have like the key for success in your fertility journey as far as being able to surrender being able to let go and and allow what's going to happen to happen. Beautifully said, because how often, I mean, the fertility, pregnancy, postpartum time frame it's rarely predictable. Right. So having that resiliency to have a calm in the storm, that's yeah. really important. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking kind of along those lines of um, asking questions or doing an investigation that someone might not intuitively link to their fertility workup. I don't know if this is true in your practice, but I find when someone wants to get pregnant and they're ready to do preconception counseling, it's often the first time they have come to the doctor in a long time. It's what brings a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now they have this motivating factor. And I'm like, okay, when was your last wellness exam? It's 10 years ago. I mean, (laughs) really very little workup has been done. And, and I always get this question from patients of like, "I, I don't know, should I come in when I'm thinking about getting pregnant? Should I try for a little while? What advice do you give your patients or give friends and family when they want to know what's the right time to even start talking to someone? Yeah, I I mean, gosh, such a good question. I think that the idea, I mean, when you think about preconception, preconceptive care, that's 
the whole your whole life <laughs> before you are actually ready to conceive. And um, I think I love to see people like a year or two before they start planning. That's the dream. I mean, that is the dream. Like it rarely happens, but when it happens, I'm like, yes, we got yeah. you. <laughs> because I think that that way you're able to really, I think what you just said is, is spot on that people haven't come to the doctor for years. Honestly, maybe it's been a decade. Um, they've been on birth control for, you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. Um, sometimes they can't even remember why they were put on birth control in the first place. And I think that that can be really, um, helpful as far as just an opportunity to really dive into your health and to put the spotlight on them for for a minute and be like okay so let's take a full comprehensive look at what's going on with you um you've been on birth control great why were like was there something going on where you were put on birth control like were your periods ever regular um and and i think that the reason why i like working with people like one or two years before they start actually actively con uh, trying to conceive is because it enables you to get this really much deeper and richer level of empowerment um, because they actually learn how to understand their bodies <laughs> often for the very first time. Like I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from a patient and they've been trying to conceive for a year, maybe two years, and they've never actually understood their menstrual cycle. Like nobody has actually ever explained things <laughs> um, to them about how their body works and what is the range of normal and what does normal look like for them. Um, I think that I, I just think that the state of, um, sex ed has done such a tremendous disservice to at least half of the population, because I think it's almost like it, you're, you're just not allowing people, uh, allowing women to unlock their kind of superpowers. Cause I really think that if we can think about the way that our bodies change throughout the cycle can really be a superpower for our patients. I think that when they are able to recognize that like, nope, women are different from men as far as like day to day is not going to be the same. Day one of your period is probably not going to be the same as day 20 or 25 or 28 of your cycle. Um, and to expect those changes, um, then you can really start to appreciate and value why we are like that <laughs> and, and use those to your advantage too for, you know, however, however it may be. So for example, I'll give you an example. When we were scheduling this podcast, I knew that I actually wanted to be in my follicular phase of my cycle. That was smart. <laughs> No, I was like, I usually am going to have more confidence. I'm going to creative energy is flowing. Exactly. Exactly. And so I decided, you know, I was able to like use my cycle and, and schedule this podcast in a time when I thought that it was going to be better for me energetically. Um, and, uh, yeah, spiritually. Um, so, um, I think that that's one small example of how, getting to people earlier can be really, really beneficial for them. 
Um, but going back to just that empowerment piece, I think that the more people understand their bodies, the more literate they are with their own cycles, um, they know kind of what's normal for them, what's not normal for them. When should I go to the doctor? Like, oh, I've been using, uh, you know, Tylenol or whatever mid-cycle for whoever, you know, God knows how long I never actually connected those two things. Or, oh, I thought my migraines were always random. <laughs> Turns out they were mid-cycle and that's something worth exploring. Um, so yeah, I think that the earlier people can come in, the better it is in general. I want to shout this from the rooftops so that everyone like, tell your friends, tell your family members, <laughs> tell all the young ladies in your life, because when we have time, I'm just thinking of, I mean, how often do we discover someone has hypothyroidism or they have iron deficiency anemia? It mm -hmm. takes some time it to zone in time. on meds, to get our nutrients in order, to do the right testing. And when yeah. you already wanted to get pregnant yesterday, ooh, it's so frustrating when we say, oh, well, give me three months, give me six right. months. Right. And I think to, to take that time pressure off the table, it just makes it so much easier. They're like, oh, got it. I'm so glad I came in now because I know that, oh, this gut dysbiosis is going to take several months to get under control. And I'm going to have to work and try to create sustainable change with my diet and my exercise, all of these things that are, that, that take some work and they take some time. Um, but there's, there's more like, oh, okay, great. Good for me. I'm so glad that I, that I, yes, I have the time. It's a luxury. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. So Sterling, I'm wondering how your approach might change. We just kind of talked about the person who comes in for the first time. They're being proactive. They want to talk about preconception counseling. Does your approach differ for the patient who comes in? They have already been trying for maybe six, 12 months, and they want to dig a little deeper and figure out, oh, am I missing something? Is something going on? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that um, probably it's pretty intuitive. If somebody's been already been trying six or 12 months, like I'm going to be a lot more aggressive with how wide of a net am I casting at the beginning? Like I'm going to be doing imaging right away. I'm going to be ordering a much wider spread of uh, blood work right away. Whereas if somebody's just now starting to try, I might kind of start with a general bit of blood work. And then if that all comes back and like no red flags, then I will kind of work stepwise up from there. Um, but yeah, if somebody's already been trying for a while, I want to respect their time. I want to respect where they are in their fertility journey. And also knowing that like, if I'm asking somebody who's already been trying for nine, 10, 11 months to, Hey, we're going to see, we're going to do this thing. And we're going to see how it works after three months. And then we're going to get going. Nope. We're not going to do that. We are, it's kind of like all engines go. Um, we're going to be pursuing multiple avenues at the same time. Yeah, I think that's really aligned with how I operate too. It makes sense. And a, a lot of patients will appreciate if you kind of create a lab and imaging hierarchy and your first yes. step, your first tier is like the things that are well covered by insurance. It's not going to be a huge out-of-pocket cost. And then you could escalate as needed. I think that's super approachable and and people appreciate that. But I'll also kind of underscore here that we have a lot of tools in the toolbox. Yeah. And if we need them, we can use them. And that might mean it a more comprehensive lab panel. It might mean imaging. It might mean referrals. Right. There's all kinds of things we can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that I also, as from like an acupuncture perspective too, I might initially, um, you know, it, it may be a, a soft recommendation for acupuncture, but it's like, mm -hmm. oh, if we know that we're, um, 
dealing with uh, a, a larger time crunch, <laughs> then let's also get acupuncture on like once a week going consistently forward. Yeah. You talked about your style and really helping your patients understand their menstrual cycle. And part of that is understanding when they're ovulating mm. and when their fertile window is occurring. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, there's this thing and everybody's like, oh, I'm going to ovulate on day 14, 15. But we find for many people, that's not true. And we have yeah. some really solid methods to help our patients understand this time frame. So I've seen you educate about an even um, more a longer time, which is our preconception window, which mm. might describe the time it takes to to mature our egg that will eventually ovulate. Will you give us a little overview of the importance of our preconception window and why we might really want to focus on our determinants of health during this time? Absolutely. Um, so I think that generally when people are talking about their preconception window, um, we're talking about kind of the second half of, uh, of when a follicle is maturing and that time to go from a primary follicle all the way to when it's going to be released is about 120 days. So that's about four months, maybe four and a half months. Um, and then, but there's actually a whole part that happens before that <laughs> where you're um, essentially tapping those um, primordial follicles that have just been like suspended um, from the time that you were in your mother's womb. <laughs> um, they have been just suspended at this at this rate of maturation and then they slowly get tapped. So every month, several of those get tapped. They start to mature for about five months. It takes to go from primordial uh, follicle to primary follicle. They sound very, very similar, but they're two different things. And so that's five months plus then four months. It's really about nine months start to finish from when those uh, primordial follicles are tapped to when that will be released into ovulation. And when you think about it, it's kind of like a beautiful symmetry. It's like, okay, it takes nine months to make the egg and then nine months to make the baby. Um, so I appreciate kind of the the more time that we have to really dial in all of these things, all of these foundations. So when I'm talking about foundations, I'm talking about environmental exposure, like let's clean up everything, all of the chemicals, all of the things in your house. Um, you know, the benefit to having people come in one to two years beforehand is that they can kind of slowly make these swaps. Like as your bottle of, I don't know, Clorox bleach, whatever, um, as that empties, great. The next time you choose maybe a cleaner, greener alternative um, or just vinegar and lemon and water, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> go to basics too. Um, and, um, and I think that after we, so once they're then in that, within that nine months of trying to conceive, um, that's really when we just have the most ability to change their environment. And we know that when the environment changes, the genes that gets, that get expressed, turned on or off change too. And so this is just such like these eggs, (laughs) these oocytes, these egg cells are going to be the foundation of your baby. Like this one little experience, this one opportunity, it's just, it's a golden opportunity for a reason. Like that's why it's called the golden window, the golden opportunity, because you won't get the opportunity again to influence like the health and wellness of your child for the rest of their life. Um, 
I think it's such a powerful time. And um, the more we can do to kind of teach uh, teach women that this even exists. I mean, it goes back to my comment about um, sex ed, like how I just, I wish that more women knew how their bodies work, how eggs mature, so that then they're not feeling like, oh, I've been already trying for 10, 11, 12 months. I don't have another nine months to like really try to clean everything up and make the best of, of the situation. It's like, I want to get pregnant now. But if we had a different perspective where all women kind of understood that, you know, from the time of puberty on, all women understood that like, oh, there's this period at which, during which our eggs are maturing, then that would, I think it would just be much more powerful. It would just be much more, people would feel like they, um, yeah, like not, rather than feeling disillusioned um, or, or frustrated or like uh, betrayed by their bodies, they would actually know how to work with their bodies. Yeah, it would maybe feel like less of a passive process and more mm. of an active, like you can engage and you have some yes. influence over what's happening in your body. I mean, I was fully within my second health science degree before anyone ever <laughs> talked to me about this. And before I learned like, oh, this is the time where we might be most susceptible to those environmental toxicants and to right. methylation issues and right. nutritional insufficiencies and all these things that they're not mysterious. I mean, we we have the power to change them if we know, you know, if, if, if we're active in it. So really powerful education. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why we do what we do and why we're <laughs> telling everyone. Yeah. And, yeah. and if anyone happens to be listening, who's not actively trying to conceive, <laughs> this is the time, like go to your primary care doc yeah. and say, this is my future goal, but what can I do to live that fertility friendly lifestyle now? But also tell your friends who are not yet trying to or conceive. I mean, I think that it's like, how do we like, I, I really, I mean, I struggle with this because, you know, a lot of, I have, um, you know, many friends who are not in the medical field at all. And when I'm talking to them about um, their body, talking to them about preconception window, they're just blown away. And they're like, how come we've never been taught this before? <laughs> and it's like, this is a good question. Um, yeah, but I think that talking to um, friends and letting them know that there is this huge opportunity for them is is huge. I think that that's honestly one of the biggest ways that we can help each other. I think there's also, um, you know, it's kind of similar in um, the birthing world where people share um, a lot of uh, their their horror stories and um, and we hear a lot so much of the horror stories of people who are trying to conceive. And on, and on one hand, people, I think there's a lot of shame and people don't necessarily want to share their story. And I completely respect and I mean, you've got to be exactly where you are. Um, and on the other hand, I think that so many women are they when they're considering trying to conceive they've heard enough of their friends horror stories that there's not you know they're already before they've even tried to conceive there's already a huge fear that they're not going to be able to have the family that they want the like the the children that they have dreamed of and and I think that that's really a shame because I think that there's so much we can do beforehand and if I could like grant one wish as like queen of the world, it would be to like let everybody know that there's so much that we can do before. Like there's so many steps between, hey, I think I want to have a baby and I am now going to a fertility clinic for IVF. Like there are 
so there are like 8 million steps between there. <laughs> and least. I think that yeah. so many women think that it's like, okay, I'm going to try. And if I conceive great. And if I don't conceive in, you know, six months or so, then I'm going to go see, go to an IVF clinic. And there are, I think that that's kind of the magic of where you and I live. The, the patients that we treat is we really are able to support people through, through all of those 8 million steps. <laughs> You've really touched on something here because I can't even tell you how many people have come in for preconception counseling. They haven't actually tried before. Like they've had yeah. no resistance yet. And they'll say, I've never told anyone this, but I've always been terrified that I can't have children. Right. And it's like, oh, you've been holding this expectation or this fear that may or may not have any basis in reality, but you have like been feeling this sadness and grief about it. Mm -hmm. And we do that collectively. I think like you're saying, because there are so many grief stories and we've seen the struggle and we don't really hear about, you know, if you get pregnant easily, it kind of, it is what it is. Right. So yes, that's why we'll keep doing what we we do and, and helping to educate, like you said, in that 8 million steps is a lot of um, where naturopathic and functional medicine shines because yes. we take this body systems approach. And I wanted to talk to you about one of these factors, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I know you like to talk about it is inflammation. <laughs> yeah. We love to talk about inflammation. Yeah. <laughs> Naturopathic doctors are somewhat known as inflammologists. And so it's intricately part of what we do. And I've seen you do some posts and some education about inflammation in regards to ovulation and how Mm -hmm. it's not such a villain all the time that it's necessary. Will you just give us the scoop on that connection? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that first of all, I'm so glad you brought it up because I think that inflammation is kind of um, such a hot button topic today. Everyone's like, oh, inflammation is terrible and it's the worst and we should drive inflammation to zero. And the truth of the matter is that that is inflammation when it is raging out of control. Yes, that is a big problem sign. It's kind of a canary in the coal mine. Like something is going on. Like, Mm -hmm. how can we address this and solve for this? Um, but our bodies are also very wise and we have inflammatory processes for a reason. It helps in the healing process. It helps in lots of different uh, functions in our body, including ovulation. So one thing that we really know is that inflammation is actually really key to a, a proper ovulatory response. So people who take ibuprofen or other NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, such as ibuprofen, um, when they take those around ovulation, what they find is that the follicle is actually not as big as it otherwise would be. And so one thing we know, like from a fertility clinic perspective, is if your follicles aren't getting to the right size, they will cancel uh, the egg retrieval. Like that's, it's it's going to be a no-go. We want our follicles to be robust. We want them to be big. Um, you know, that's the, that last two weeks of egg maturation is really, it ends up being kind of this competition between, I don't know, any number of follicles and they're all trying to be the queen bee. Like they're all trying (laughs) to be the queen follicle and show how great they are. And so one of those is going to be selected and kind of tapped to be the primary or the dominant follicle. And that follicle should be big. And so if we are doing anything, especially like taking ibuprofen or something around the time of ovulation, then that is 
going to really be hindering our success. And the other question I would have is why are you taking the ibuprofen around the time of ovulation? Like what's going on? Are you having pain? Like are, are, what are, what are we talking about here? Is there like endometriosis? Is there PID or pelvic inflammatory disease? Um, is there, you know, what is, what is going on? There's a reason for this pain. And I would like to dive into that and sort that out so that you're never even having to reach for the ibuprofen, um, in the first place. If you think about it, the egg, the bursting through the follicle, it makes sense right. that that would be somewhat inflammatory tissue totally. is destructing for this egg to burst through, right? We don't want to suppress our all-star Beyonce egg cell. So <laughs> do our due diligence around here. But that being said, as you mentioned, chronic inflammation or really excessive inflammation can impair our endometrium and can have an effect in our ovaries. So how are you assessing inflammation in your patients just to kind of get a, a, a status check? Yeah. So I think the, the, I mean, I do labs and symptoms, so yeah. I don't think that they, I really don't think that one should be looked at without the other. Um, I probably check CRP, which is C-reactive protein more yeah. than any other marker. Um, so high sensitivity is C-reactive protein. And I would like that to be below one ideally. Um, but there are times I also, I also want to be looking at the symptoms. So are you feeling kind of crappy overall? Like, do you have fatigue? Do you have big mood swings? Are you having joint pain? Are you feeling sluggish? Like, how is your sleep? I'm going to also be looking at all of those things. And if there is kind of a, um, um, if there is some of both, so we're seeing a little bit of inflammation, maybe it's a two, maybe it's a three, certainly if it's above three, I'm going to be working to bring it down. Mm -hmm. But if it's maybe 1.2, 1.3, like it's above one, but you're having no systematic or systemic symptoms of any inflammation, your food is dialed in, you are eating well, you're moving your body in a way that's honoring where you are in your cycle and you are feeling good, then I'm not going to be so worried about like hounding that number because why if I'm really just like no we have to you know really dogmatic about having to drive this inflammation down to below one I am probably also going to be introducing more stress I'm probably going to be setting like unrealistic right. expectations and those things are not going to be helping support you on your journey so I think that really it's this is kind of where it's an art and a science and this is kind of the the art piece of it you've got to look at the patient in front of you as a whole person not just as a number on a graph couldn't agree more and isn't it interesting I'm not gonna I'm not I promise I'm not gonna spiral on this for too long but <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've had patients that come in and they have been diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And then I do their HSCRP and it's like seven yeah. or eight. And yeah. I'm just over here thinking, okay, is it really, yeah. is it really unexplained? <laughs> I mean, clearly there's just massive inflammatory process mm -hmm. going over here. So it seems like somewhat of, of an explanation. Mm -hmm. That's why I love that you're measuring, you're combining with the symptom picture and that you're willing to look outside the reproductive axis mm -hmm. and say, let's look at what's going on mm -hmm. systemically. It's super important. Yeah. So, okay. You, you do your workup, your patient is inflamed. You want to call upon some anti-inflammatory uh, interventions. Yep. What's at the top of your list? 
I, I think fish oil is still going to be at the top of my list. Um, I think it's just, it's a classic I've seen at work. I think I also like, I'm just really comfortable with working with fish oil, like dosing it for different people. Um, and, and then it's really going to be back to the foundations. Like I, we are going to make sure that your diet is really locked in. We're going to be figuring out what specifically for you is going to be more triggering. So I definitely don't do, uh, like food allergy panels on all of my patients, but for patients who have inflammation and we are really having a hard time figuring out where that is coming from, I am going to be running a food allergy panel for them um, because we want to, we want to really understand it. And then also looking at the kind of exercise that you're doing, because some exercise for some people is going to end up being like more inflammatory um, than than others. And so really like paying attention, okay, how do you feel after you exercise? Like how do you feel um, you know, the the next day um and and really kind of trying to again look at it from like as holistic a perspective as possible beautiful i have a recent obsession with the product curcuma veil oh it's good yes 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 it's so good yeah. and yeah. The, the capsules are big let me tell you the capsules are large but they're very smooth mm -hmm. <laughs> they're pretty well tolerable but that's yeah. been my um for my own personal self, I've been yeah. loving that for me lately. Yeah, I think, I mean, no, that's a, that's a great product too. I mean, turmeric and curcumin in general are great. I also, I'm big into incorporating things into the diet. So yes. it's like, if you, you know, if uh, you're having trouble sleeping or that's a, you know, that's a factor for you, then we're also like, how about golden milk tea? Like how about golden milk lattes? Like figuring no. out how, cause I think that, I don't know, I have a lot of patients who already come to me they've already diagnose themselves with lots of different things they're trying to do be their best advocate and they're already taking a bunch of things <laughs> and, and have so supplement I'm, fatigue already oh my gosh such and well-earned supplement fatigue yes. you know <laughs> and so I really try to where I can to decrease the number of pills that I'm um prescribing um but again it's not always it's not always possible and and thank goodness we have things like curcuma veil we can what is it saying? We can feed two birds with one scone with this <laughs> because you can have your golden milk and have that before bed to make your ritual that you right. talked about where it's your self-care ritual, quiet time. And then you're just doing all kinds of good things. Yeah, yeah. Now, I can't let this episode go by without talking to you a little bit about your experience as a certified hypnobirthing oh, yeah. teacher because that's so cool. We, I think this is probably new to many of us. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that means, what it entails. Yeah. So I kind of um, just maybe a year or two ago decided to get certified because this was something that I used for my own for births. Um, um, it's essentially a philosophy around childbirth um, that gives you tools um, to, that really honors that like childbirth is a natural, normal thing, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a medical event. Um, and it gives you tools to not only be able to breathe through different phases of your labor, but it also really empowers uh, the birth partner, which I really like. I think that similar to the fertility world, where I think that so much of the burden falls on the, the woman's shoulders. Um, but I think that, I don't know if you found the same thing, but more and more in my practice, 
I'm seeing that men or you know male partners want to be involved. They just don't know how to. Like they don't know what steps to take. They don't know their partner how doesn't to know how to and engage them either. Know. Yeah, and then it's like it feels almost like more burden on the partners. They're like, oh, I'm supposed to tell you what to do. I don't yes. even know what to do. So I really like hypnobirthing and I, I actually like incorporate some of the um, hypnobirthing techniques in my fertility practice too, because I think they're really powerful. Like fear releasing, I think is hugely, hugely powerful. Um, but like, I'll, I'll give you just a couple of uh, tidbits from hypnobirthing for what the partner can do. Um, you walk away with having, you know, three questions that you can ask, like if your OB or midwife or anybody comes to you and they're worried about, you know, their special considerations, they're worried about something, um, asking three questions. So is my wife in danger right now? Like, is my, is my, is the mama in danger right now? Is the baby in danger right now? And can we have five minutes to think about what you just said and to make a decision on our own without you in the room. And mm -hmm. that in and of itself, like that takes away so much of the adrenaline that can, and the fear that can be around when there are special considerations that, that come up um, and in complications that come up. Um, and I think that that is hugely powerful. And also, um, working with like literally practicing different uh, light touch massage techniques while you're doing the hypnobirthing class. And I totally empower them on the moms to be a, I'm like, okay, if you don't like the way your partner is doing something, now is the time. Nobody's feelings are getting hurt. Everybody like, everybody look at me. You're not going to take this personally. You know, like we're really working to decrease those pain sensations so that to kind of like flood the brain so that, especially with light touch massage, your brain can only handle so much input at a given time. And so if you're doing this kind of, and you know, I know it's a podcast, but I'm doing it on the back of my hand um, with just like this light uh, kind of back of the fingertip, back of the fingernail across a broad area like your back. Essentially, it's just sending so many signals to your brain at the same time that it helps to downregulate your brain's interpretation of more like painful sensations. But I really like hypnobirthing so much just because it, it offers a different perspective on what birth can be like. We, I think in the media and movies and everything, we are offered like one <laughs> view of what it's a screaming woman who is angry and in pain and there's blood everywhere. She's mad at like, everyone. Yeah. It's just like a horror scene. Like that's what we are fed. And I think that this, I mean, there's a, a part of hypnobirthing where you're actually, you're watching other births and you're watching births that are calm and you can actually see what that looks like and understanding that no two births are going to look the same, but you can have an empowered birth where you're actually looking forward to the experience um, in a way that I think is just not really um, shown in, in modern culture. A theme that I'm taking away from our entire conversation today is that you've got options. You've got options for how your yes. preconception goes, how your pregnancy goes, your postpartum time frame. I mean, you can participate and and have a say in how this all goes for you. And I think, mm -hmm. ooh, that feels good. <laughs> that that I feels good to me too. I think that that's really the motivating factor. I mean, it's it's the passion. It's it's the fire behind what I do. What I what I do. It's like just helping people understand that they have options and helping them know that they can feel empowered 
through really any health journey, but especially the fertility journey. Mm -hmm. As we're doing our information collecting, I always like to end our episodes with something fun. And for you, I just, I don't know this about you, but I'm just imagining that you have a pretty awesome bookshelf. I just have that. (laughs) I do. And so I I need to know what fertility related book is a go-to for you. I really like um, A Fertile Soul. It's by uh, Randine Lewis, and she's an acupuncturist. And it kind of touches on um, that spirit-soul kind of piece, that connection. Um, It definitely shows the kind of holistic approach of acupuncture um, and Chinese medicine in general, um, which I think that it's just, it's probably, it might be something different than what a lot of your um, listeners will have kind of like, it's just a different perspective. I really appreciate it. But also I have to say that your bookshelf shouldn't be all fertility books. You know, (laughs) like, I think that that's also like, sometimes I'm talking with patients. I'm like, wow, you have done so much homework and good for you. And now like, just let go of the reins a little bit. Like you go like, do, do you like mysteries? great. Here's a good mystery. Like, do you like, you know, comedy books? Like, great. Here's this really funny author and go read them. I think that like spicing it up is, is, is key. Okay. I'm firmly in my fantasy romance era right now. So (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) 100%. Well, Sterling, will you let our listeners know where they can find you? Of course. So on Instagram, I'm at Doc Maximo. And um, you can also go to my website, drsterlingmaximo.com. I practice in Seattle and I'm seeing uh, patients for both naturopathic care and acupuncture. Um, And for hypnobirthing, I can see um, uh, patients or clients all over the country. Um, Yeah. And hopefully soon, coming up soon, I was hoping to have the the formal date to announce today, but I don't, Um, but I'm going to be doing kind of a a preconception retreat where we're going to be talking a lot about like, how do you connect to the creative and how do you learn the basics of fertility and your reproductive cycle so that people can have that experience before they launch into their, um, you know, trying to conceive journey. We'll stay tuned because that sounds absolutely amazing. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. It's always such a pleasure to connect with you all. Big thank you to our show's producer, Paola Martini, and to Dr. Sterling Maximo. Thank you so much for sharing all of your clinical insights today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. We'll see you next time, everyone. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawaddles.com slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.